open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us through your word, the Bible. We thank you for this scripture this morning. We pray that as we work our way through this passage, that you would open our hearts to the truth that is here. Lord, bring conviction where necessary. Bring encouragement. Bring exhortation, teaching. Lord, help us to be people who are pliable, who are not stiff-necked, who are not stubborn. Lord, we can only do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we invite you again, Holy Spirit, to come and fill us, please. Be kind and gracious to us. Lord, I pray if there are any here who do not know you this morning, that you would turn their hearts to, 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 to you, that, that you would be kind to them because it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, I pray for myself that you would take away my pride. Lord, that I would not be concerned this morning about what these people think about me, but only what you think about me. Father, help me to be true to my calling. Help me to be true to your word and to say nothing that would harm these people or slander your son in any way. We love you today, Lord. We thank you for this time to worship you through the preaching of your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. My son was born June 4th, 2006. And I wrote a letter to him while he was actually still in the, the womb of Linda. And I want to read a little bit of that letter to you now because it has uh, bearing upon what we're talking about this morning. It was uh, June 3rd, 2006 at 3 p.m. It says, My dearest son Hayden, I am sitting in the labor room of Memorial Hospital in Long Beach, California. Your mother is resting quietly in her bed. She has a couple of monitors on her and an IV with a drip of magnesium to keep her blood pressure down. And you are still content to be inside her. Your ba-bump, ba-bump heartbeat is barely audible over the heart monitor. And every once in a while, the monitor lets out a low, scratchy sound to let us know that you're moving. I wanted to tell you a few things here in these quiet moments before you were born. Son, we are Christians. That means that we are followers of the God-man, Jesus Christ. In your lifetime, you will meet many people that claim to be Christians. They call themselves Christians. And it's no more meaningful than saying that they're Nebraskans. Stay away from those kind of people. They're weak and allow the world and its ways to inform all their decisions. 
So, son, we are Christians, and that means that we strive to make all our decisions based upon the revealed Word of God, the Bible. The Word of God is objective. It is solid and can be trusted because it proceeds from the mouth of God, and He can be trusted. How do I know? I could fill pages with prayers our God has answered. He has always been good to our people, from Abraham Isaac and Jacob, right down to your mother and I. God is faithful, and his word is faithful. People, cultures, and nations come and go, but God and his word never change. I hate to admit it, but I may even let you down sometime in the future. Why? Don't I love you? Of course I do. But you see, man has fallen, and we are sinners. When Hayden was uh, three years old, we were sitting on the porch one day and we often would sit on the porch and uh, I would just point out things outside, trees and moon and all these different kind of things and say, uh, look at that. Who made that? And he would say, God did. Look at that moon up in the sky. Wow, look how big it is. Who made that? God did. Well, this one day I thought I'm going to ask him a different kind of question. And so instead of asking him who made that, I said, Hayden, what do you think about God? And Hayden looked at me for a moment and he said, he's the perfect daddy. And I thought, wow, I was I was shocked. And and, and a, a number of thoughts ran through my through my mind almost simultaneously. The first was, wow, he's a young budding theologian, right? My new th- three year old theologian. Daddy's greatest. Some guys want to have a baseball player, right? <laughs> I want a theologian. <laughs> Next, I thought, I, I, I marveled at the truth. God is the perfect daddy. He is. He is the perfect Abba, Papa. And then the next thought was one more of shame or guilt when I realized and thought about my own fatherhood and thought, I, I, I'm not the perfect daddy. I'm not the perfect daddy. I want to start this sermon today with confession. As we talk about the topic of family worship and family discipleship, I want to tell you that I am not the perfect daddy. I'm not the perfect daddy. I'm not the perfect husband. I am not the perfect father. I'm not the perfect pastor. I am a sinful man. And in this area of family discipleship, I have struggled, and I'm sure that I will continue to struggle in this area. And so I think that probably because I struggle... And it's an issue for me. I would assume that most men in this congregation struggle in this area as well. And so as I preach this sermon to you today and talk to you from the word of God, I hope that you will you will hear me as a fellow believer who longs to run hard after God and to be an encouragement to you for us to run together in this area of family discipleship. When I think about my own sin and the times I've started and started again, I come to this passage. Proverbs 26, 24, 16 says this. For the righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. The righteous, what does the righteous do? First of all, in this passage, we see the righteous falls. <laughs> the righteous actually, it doesn't say the righteous never falls. The righteous man falls. Seven times, but what does he do? He just keeps getting up. 
He just keeps getting up. Don't be discouraged to start again and again and again and again. Keep starting, okay? That's something that I I had to learn in my own life and I'm continuing to learn. I'm going to keep starting. When I fail, I'm going to keep going. Also, the beloved, our beloved Apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, 13, 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind. Don't worry about the failures of the past. Let's press on toward the call of Jesus Christ. And let me speak to you uh, wives and, and moms for a minute. As your husbands begin to take up this mantle and begin to lead in this area, you can help them, right? Not by nagging them, not by, you know, getting on them, but, but you also forget what is behind. As we have a fresh start to say, I'm going to lead, as, as your husband says, I'm going to lead tonight in family worship. I'm going to gather the children around and we're going to pray together. We're going to sing a little song together. We're going to talk about the sermon. Or we're, going to, we're going to read some scripture together. You be there to, to assist and to help and to encourage your husband and to say, honey, good job. Praise God. Good job. I received an email uh, a while back. And it was uh, an email from Focus on the Family uh, promoting a, a new project of theirs, which was a parenting uh, project a focus on parenting type uh, conference. In the middle of the email, it said that, that over 50% of professing Christian children would leave the faith or deny their profession of faith after high school. And there have been a number of books actually written on this and surveys done to show that this is the case of professing Christian children leaving their, their faith after high school. And it's a sad and tragic reality. Look at the bottom of our passage we've read today. Psalm 78, verse 8. At the end of this passage, it says this. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. A rebellious generation a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. I can't think of anything more regretful than to spend my life training my son to be a believer and then seeing him turn from the faith, to turn away from the faith. May it never be said of our children here at Hope Chapel that our children's hearts are not steadfast, that their, that their spirits are not faithful to God. Now, this passage in, in, in the psalm here gives us some encouragement about how not to be filled with regret. And I believe this psalmist has given us a remedy for regret, a remedy for regret. But let me say here for a minute. I cannot save Hayden. You cannot save your children Hayden has a savior, Jesus Christ, and I'm not that savior. You're not your children's savior. You are not the Holy Spirit. But God has given us means of grace, means of grace that are that are at our that are available for us to use 
to help our children and to help others come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Those means of grace are, are the scriptures, prayer, family, discipleship, the church, the gathering of the people right here, baptism, communion. All these things are means of grace to help us in the sanctification and the salvation of our children. But the bottom line is still, it's up to God. But let's look at some of those means of grace that are here in this passage today. Let's go back to the top of uh, chapter 78. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Our fathers have told us. Gentlemen, the bottom line is it is our responsibility. It is our responsibility to teach and to train our children. Now, if you're a single mother here today, you can't just sit back and go to sleep. Okay, obviously, your husband is no longer there or the father of your children are not there. And so the, the training of your children is going to primarily fall to you as the head of your household. If you're a young man who is single, if you are a high school student, if you are a junior high student, you need to be listening to this message to know this is what is expected of me. It is my responsibility. To be a man is to be a man who, 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 who yields to God and who, who takes responsibility. It is your responsibility. John Piper says this. If I were to put my finger on one devastating sin today, it would be the lack of spiritual leadership by men at home and in the church. Satan has achieved an amazing tactical victory by disseminating the notion that the summons for male leadership is born of pride and fallenness. When in fact, pride is precisely what prevents spiritual leadership. The spiritual aimlessness and weakness and lethargy and loss of nerve among men is the major issue. Pride and self-pity and fear and laziness and confusion are luring many men into self-protecting, self-exalting cocoons of silence. And then he asked this question. Where are the men with a moral vision for their families, a zeal for the house of the Lord, a magnificent commitment to the advancement of the kingdom, an articulate dream for the mission of the church, and a tender-hearted tenacity to make it real? Where are those men? Brothers, I, I believe those men are sitting right here. I believe you are those men. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are full of the Holy Spirit. And so you desire to train your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But like me, every once in a while, we need some encouragement, right? To keep the faith. Continue on. Don't give up. Remember, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. Dr. Tom Askell, a theologian, said this. The primary responsibility for teaching your children about God is yours, dear parent. It is not the Sunday schools. It is not the churches, nor the pastors. God has entrusted this important work to you. If you do not invest your time and effort to teach your children about God, be assured someone else will. The television and the theater will teach them about God. If he exists at all, then they'll teach them that he is irrelevant. He's an indulgent being that is little more than a nice and kindly old man. 
If you do not teach your children truth and righteousness, be assured that there are a multitude of teachers in this world who would deceive them into thinking that truth and morality are relative ideas that can be shaped to fit anyone's beliefs or standards. Parents, it is our responsibility. What happens here at Children's Church is icing, okay? It's just a little bit of help for you, but it's our responsibility to train up our children. So what is it our responsibility to do? It is our responsibility to remember the Lord, to remember the Lord. Verse three says things that we have heard and known things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We must remember the Lord as we go about our days. I mean, when we come to church, think of it. This is not like a movie, right? You go to a movie and you, and you see it once and, you, and they say, hey, you want to see that? Mo-? No, I've, I've seen that movie, right? Church is not like that. We come to church and we keep coming, right? We keep coming, we keep coming, we keep coming. Why? Because our hearts can be forgetful. We take communion and we remember the Lord. We remember the Lord. The same is true as our, of, of our families. As you train your children, as you walk along with them, as you spend time with them, you remember the Lord. When Linda and I go walking with our son Hayden, we often, you know, we're just looking at stuff, just looking at everything. And, and I often will say to him, look at that. Look, what, what color is that tree? And Hayden will say, green. And I'll say, why well, isn't it? Isn't it amazing for God to give us the color green? Just think of it. It's beautiful. Couldn't everything have just, everything could have just been gray, right? And everything could just taste like chicken, <laughs> right? But no, no, God has been so gracious to us in diversity and beauty and wonder. And sometimes we just, we just kind of get used to it. It's amazing what God has done with us. And as we are people who remember the Lord, they'll remember the Lord as well. Uh, I was convicted a while back by our own beloved pastor, Zach. He talked about um, prayer and he was saying, you know, do we really believe God answers prayer? And, you're, and we're all thinking, yes, of course we do. We do. And, and he asked the question, he says, when you get a headache, what do you do? Right. You get a headache. Do you immediately go to the Tylenol? Right. And, you know, pop some Tylenol or whatever. Or do you pray first? I thought, wow, oh, man, it's just like Pastor Zach, right, to, to get on us like that. So, so I, I made a commitment in our household to try to do that. And so we have, we've, so when, when Hayden falls down and gets a bump, right, instead of immediately trying to, you know, grab him. And, and the, the, the thing we do with little children is what? Once a little child falls down, immediately it's let's kiss it and make it better, right? And mommy comes and, and gives it a kiss, kisses the owie and makes it better. Is there some... Magical property in, in, in mother's saliva, you know? I'm not quite sure. I know that my kiss, yes, exactly. It's, my, my, it's missing out of mine. <laughs> it doesn't make the same effect. But before we kiss it, we're not, I'm not saying don't kiss it and make it better. I'm not saying don't take the towel. But before we do that, let's pray first, right? And so we made a commitment that when Hayden falls down, that uh, I would pray for him. Put my hand on his knee. Dear God, please help Hayden's knee. In Jesus' name, amen, right? And um, I remember the first time that that uh, he did this with me, and it was so shocking. We were playing and wrestling on the floor, and uh, I got one of those headbutts that only a toddler can give, right? And you're there, and you're all, all of a sudden just right, right at the nose, and just, you know, and oh, my goodness, didn't hurt him at all, but, you know, your eyes water, and, and he's like, oh. And um, all of a sudden, he just stopped. He goes, Dada, let me pray for you. I'm like, oh, wow. And he comes on, and he lays his little hand on my head, and he, and he held his hand up, and he just goes, amen, right? <laughs> And so I said, oh, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Just yesterday, he was having some struggles and, and, uh, and uh, was hurting, and he asked me to pray for him. Daddy, would you pray for me? You know, and I prayed for him. And then, then right on the heels of that, he said, God is, I, feel, I feel better. God is answering our prayers, right? Remember, remember the Lord as we do that and let, let, let our children imitate us. Let them imitate us. Our responsibility also is to reveal the Lord's mighty deeds. To reveal the Lord's mighty deeds. Verse 4 says, we will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation. The opposite of reveal is to what? Conceal or hide. Exactly. You're right. <laughs> to conceal. But he says, let's, no, let's not hide these deeds. Let's not hide the mighty deeds of the Lord. We're not going to hide them from their children or from our children, but tell them to the coming generation. The opposite of reveal is to conceal. And so I want to talk to you just for a moment about something that, that can be uh, controversial. And I hope you hear uh, my spirit and, and my concern in this, in this little section here. Is, do you believe it's the goal of the public school system to reveal the glory of the Lord? No, I don't think so. I was a public school teacher for 18 years in LA Unified. My wife was a public school teacher as well. It is not the goal of the public school system to reveal the glory of the Lord. It's the goal really to conceal. Now, God has created all things, correct? He created the universe. The universe is everything that's been created. Exactly. That means everything that is out there has been created by God. Everything has been created by God. And so when we don't tell the whole truth about creation, history, math, science, government, family. When we don't tell the whole truth, we're, we're, we're slandering God. Okay, brothers and sisters, there is no such thing as neutrality. Jesus says, either you're for me or against me. There's no such thing as neutrality. And so the public school system cannot be neutral in these matters. Okay. So I want to encourage you to uh, consider, if you've never considered homeschooling or private Christian school, then I would encourage you to consider that. I know that there are reasons why people cannot do that. And so I, I understand that. And we want to be gracious here at our church in that area. But, but, but we are a church who definitely believes and promotes homeschooling. And we have uh, opportunities here to help you in this area. If you've yet to consider that or are or, or thinking about that, there's brochures on the back counter that you can pick up on your way out. And, in your, and uh, you can call us here at the church. Just call the church number. In fact, there's a, there's a number in your, in your bulletin. I think it's the wrong number. Uh, so just call the church number. Yes. Call the church number and, uh, and, uh, and just ask for uh, myself or, or Penny Ross, my vice principal. Uh, I am biased. I'm the principal of the Homeschool Academy. <laughs> That's one of my jobs here. So I want you to know that. But I want to encourage you to consider to consider that. One of the problems is uh, we have people who are teaching our children who are not lovers of God. It's not always what they say that can affect our children because you see sometimes more things are caught than taught. If you do not love God, 
and you hate God and you live a lifestyle and have a Christian, a worldview that is not Christian, that bleeds through in everything you say and think and do. And that's going to bleed through in your children's classrooms. It's going to come out in their conversation. It's going to come out in, in um, looks and rolled eyes and all sorts of all sorts of things. So I just want to have you consider that. Psalm 111.12 says this. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Great are the works of the Lord. Everything he has created are amazing. They're great. Studied by all who delight in them. As we study the things of, of God, as we study his universe and everything that he's created, we should delight in God. It should, it should cause us to move to praise and wonder. It should not move us away from the Lord, but toward him. I remember when my brother started homeschooling his first uh, little girl. Um, they had a kindergarten curriculum. And uh, it started with, in the beginning, God created numbers. And I thought, what? When I heard that, what? He says, in the beginning, God created numbers. On the first day, he created this. On the second day, he created this. On the third day, he created this. You see, Jesus is the Lord of two plus two. Okay, everything that is out there, God has created mathematics, art and science. Deuteronomy six, four through nine says this. Hear, O Israel, this is the great Shema. Okay, Uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. Everywhere we go, everything we do, we should be, should be about teaching our children to love the Lord our God. J. Gresham Machen said this, and I want you to, it's kind of a, a lengthy reading, but I want you to listen carefully. It says, the Christian cannot be satisfied so long as any human activity is either opposed to Christianity or out of all connection with Christianity. Christianity must pervade not merely nations, but also all of human thought. The Christian, therefore, cannot be indifferent to any branch of earnest human endeavor. It must all be brought into some relation to the gospel. It must be studied either in order to be demonstrated as false or else in order to made to be made useful in the advancing of the kingdom of God. The church must seek to conquer not merely every man for Christ, but also the whole of man. We must conquer all of man for Christ. He says at the end, when all of art is devoted to one great end, when all human thinking is permeated by the refining, ennobling influence of Jesus, when every thought has been uh, brought into subjection to the obedience of Christ, we will have done our job. What he's saying is that everything, all of, all of, of thought, all of study should be devoted to Jesus Christ. All right. Moving on. Our responsibility also is to revel in the glory of God, to revel in the glory of God. Our passage says in uh, 4b, the, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We should revel in the glory of God. 
my uh, son and I were on an errand one day and my wife was at home and we were driving along and, and um, he said something to me that just cracked me up. He just, I think he's the funniest kid in the world, right? And uh, I mean, he's smarter than all your kids. He's more handsome than all your kids. He's, you know, you can tell, right? And uh, you know, I know your kids are all smarter than my kids. That's okay. Um, but, but he just cracked me up and, and we started laughing and, uh, and he started and he, and I said, I, buddy, you know, I love you. And he goes, no, no, I love you. Right. And I said, no, I love you. No, I love you. No, I love you. No, I like, we're just going back and forth. And, uh, and, and, and I just was filled with such joy and praise to God that I said, let's, let's just, uh, let's praise God right now. And he says, okay. And so we're driving down the road singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessing flows. And we're just driving along singing together. And uh, then I start praying, just praising God spontaneously. And what a joy it was. Reveling, right? Revel in the glory of God. Spend time glorifying God together. Uh, another thing that Pastor Zach has encouraged us to do, men, was to, was to pray with our wives, right? To pray with them. And I remember specifically at one of our men's events, he uh, he talked to us about hugging our wives, grab them and hug them. Okay. And this is an instruction today, today, guys, if you haven't started doing this, but, but I took this and I, I want to be submitted to what pastor Zach said. And so he said to take your wife and hug her and pray for her, right? Bless her. You're the head of your household. God has given you the authority to hug your wife and hold her and bless her. Okay. And so I began to do this. And I remember one time I had hold of Linda and I'm just thanking God for her and blessing her in the name of the Lord and thanking her for giving me a beautiful wife and all this stuff. And I look over and I see Hayden. He's looking at me and he has this this beautiful smile on his face and he has this kind of little smirk and I finish and he says, he goes, you love mama, don't you? Right? (laughs) Yes, I do. Come here, come here. I love you too, right? And we grab Hayden and he says, family hug, right? (laughs) Family hug. And uh, and so we and we just hug each other. Right. And we and we praise God together. We revel in the glory of the Lord, in the beauty that he has given us in our family. Let's do that. Let's let's revel in the glory of the Lord. I think of my my niece, Emma, my brother uh, was telling me last week, she says she says has this saying, let's hug about it. Let's hug about it. <laughs> and so when when they're having struggles in their family, she's uh, she's the second to the youngest. There's four girls. See, there, there's there, someone's having a little trouble, whatever. Emma will come and she's about 12 years old. She'll say, you know what? Hey, hey, let's hug about it. OK, come on, let's hug about it. <laughs> and I think that's such wonderful, right? I mean, I mean, how many of our, our how many of our, our our debates and our little arguments? I'm sure you guys never argue in your household, uh, but how many of them would 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 be helped if instead of uh, fighting about it, we say, you know, hey, let's let's hug about it. OK, let's just hug about it. After we finish hugging, then we'll then we can continue the conversation. <laughs> right. So let's revel in the glory of the Lord. Let's revel in the glory of the Lord. Matthew Henry said this. They that pray in the family do well. They that pray and read the scriptures do better. But they that pray and read and, read and sing do best of all. Let's pray together. Let's read the scriptures together. And let's sing together as well. Let's praise God together as families. All right. Moving on, our responsibility, verse 5. Our responsibility is also to teach, to teach and reteach our children the greatness of the Lord. Verse 5 says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. He commanded the fathers to teach these things to our children. Deuteronomy 4 9 says this Only take care and keep your soul diligently. 
lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Listen to that again. He says, lest you forget, you must keep your soul diligently. We have to work at this. We have to be, we we participate with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification by reading the word, by spending time together with God. We must keep our soul diligently lest we forget the things that we have known. Lest we forget, we must teach our children and reteach them because we have forgetful hearts. We have forgetful, forgetful hearts. Well, if we commit to our responsibility, then we will rejoice in multi-generational faithfulness. We will rejoice in multi-generational faithfulness. Verse 6 says that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. The children yet unborn. Brothers and sisters, we must be raising our children with our great-grandchildren in mind. It's not enough for God to have one generation of believers. He wants a multitude of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Multiple, multiple generations of people, of, of believers who, who love Him. And so we must be raising our children with our great-grandchildren in mind. A multi-generational vision of faithfulness to our great God. So that even children yet unborn will, will, will know the Lord our God. It makes me think of my, my own father. When I was a little boy, he would tell me, I'm praying for your wife. And I remember thinking, I mean, you know, when you're six years old or seven years old or 12 years old, I'm praying for your wife. Girls have cooties. Please, Dad, don't pray for my wife. That's gross, you know. Ooh, what are you talking about? I said, son, I'm praying. I'm praying for your wife. I'm praying for your wife. I'm praying for your wife. All my life growing up, I'm praying for your wife. And then he meets Linda, who was to be my fiance. And when she's engaged to me, he tells her, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. Right? God answered my dear father's prayer to give me a godly woman, a Proverbs 31 woman. And I'm so blessed that my dad has prayed for her and prayed for her and prayed for her. And then God answers that prayer. Right? Begin now to pray for our children's wives, our boys' wives, our girls' husbands. I began to pray for Hayden when he was in uh, his mother's womb. And I'm sure you've done this as well. And uh, just remember laying my hand on Linda's tummy and and praying that God would fill him with the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb, just like John the Baptist, fill him with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And even now, every night when we go to bed, our final prayer for him every night as I lay my hands on him is, is I pray for his salvation. I pray for his wife and I pray for his children's children for a legacy of faithfulness from the Bryan family. I know that many of you are praying like that already, but if you're not yet, take it up. Begin to pray by faith. Pray for your children and children's children for a legacy of faithfulness from our family. A legacy of faithfulness. Remember my my dear wife, um, she's taught me uh, so many things. And uh, you remember that, uh, you know, God said to Adam... You know, at first he said, when he, when he had creation, he says, it's, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when it comes to Adam being alone, he says, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good that man is alone. And so God has given us our beautiful wives to be helpers to us, right? And one time we were, we were, we were both working in Watts. 
And uh, actually, I had I was working there, and it, it's it's kind of a tough spot. And uh, I was working there, and she uh, was coming to uh, that area to interview to to work for a school. Uh, back then, it was called 102nd Street School across from the Jordan Downs Projects. And I told her, you know, honey, it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. As long as you're on the campus, it's safe. There's some bad guys out there running around, gangs and this and that. But, but you're going to commute with me and I'm going to drop you off at the school and it's going to be totally safe. As we drove in for her to interview that day for that position, there was a teacher lying in the parking lot who had been hit in the back of the head with a gun by a student. And, uh, and there's an ambulance there and there's police there. And she's we're literally walking past this for her to go in to interview <laughs> for this position for a teacher. And I'm thinking, oh, honey, it's safe. It's, it's really safe. Don't worry. The principal, the principal and the vice principal after interviewing her told her later after she took the job. They, they, when she walked out, they said, she's never coming back. <laughs> she ain't never coming back. <laughs> right. But she did. She came back and she took, she took the position. At that school one time, someone was killed in the morning, not at the school, but, but on the, in the neighborhood. A person was killed in the middle of the night. And uh, the coroners would not come in to pick up the body until they had a police escort. And so the children at that elementary school were walking past a dead body in the gutter to go to school that day. Because the coroners wouldn't come in until the police came to, to do that. Uh, I came to my school one morning, the first day of school, coming back. I came in, I couldn't park in my parking lot at my school where I taught because there was, there was a car blocking the entrance to the, the teacher's parking lot. You know, they drive into the gate, right, and park. I couldn't get in there. Because there was a car blocking the way. Well, the problem with the car was, you said, well, just move it. You couldn't move it. It was upside down and burned out. And, you know, so <laughs> anyway, when we worked there, um, one of the things that my wife said, we, we realized, you know what? We're making a choice to be here. It's a ministry for us. It's a ministry for us. And my wife was not, uh, was not fearful uh, to be there because her heart is secure in the Lord and so she said to me one day, we were talking about how we say goodbye. And she said, honey, I don't want to just say bye anymore. I mean, what if something does happen to us? We had heard of some good friends who had a family at their church who had all died in a, a, a van accident. Their, their van had crashed and the whole family had, had passed. And we said, what happens? What do we want the last thing for us to say to be? Let's not just say bye-bye, right? Or even just, I love you. What's the last thing we should say? And she said, I, I want us to start saying this. I want us to say, um, love you, right? I love you. It's the first thing. Love you. We do love each other. I love you. See you. If I don't see you today when you get home from work, I will see you in heaven, right? Love you. See you. Keep the faith. And the last thing we would say is keep the faith. She says, honey, that's, that's the most important thing for us to tell each other. If I don't see you again today, if I don't see you later, the most important thing for me to remember that my wife has told me when I, li- when I leave to go to work is keep the faith. Keep the faith. We want to rejoice in multi-generational faithfulness. We want to keep the faith. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher, and many of you are familiar with him, and we, we actually quote him here often because he is a a powerful man of God, was a powerful man of God, probably one of the greatest theologians that America ever produced. He lived in the 1700s. And um, he was an uncompromising pastor who lived to please God and was a man of prayer. Uh, Researchers did a study of his children, 
and his legacy. They found at the time of this study that there were 1,394 descendants of Jonathan Edwards. His descendants included 13 college presidents, 65 prominent lawyers, 32 noted authors, 90 physicians, 86 state senators, 30 judges, three congressmen, and one vice president of the United States, and 200 ministers of the gospel. This man was committed to the Lord and to prayer and to family discipleship. And his legacy showed that in multi-generational faithfulness. Our faith is not just, it's not just my faith. Do you see this? This man's faith resulted in 1,300 uh, prominent believers in Christ who have affected our country. And so I want to encourage you today, fathers, that God has given us an opportunity to choose our family's legacy, to, to play a part in the faith of our family's legacy. Fathers, I'm calling you today to commit to your responsibility, to remember the Lord, to reveal his mighty deeds, to revel in the glory of the Lord, to reteach his greatness, and to rejoice in multi-generational faithfulness. So I want to give you a little bit of some practical help here at the end here, just to encourage you and to give you some tools. Um, when it comes to family worship or family discipleship, having a time together just to read, and it's just simply it, pray, read the Bible, sing, right? It doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't have to be some amazing thing. It can be 15 minutes, depending on the age of your children. With Hayden and, and, and I, it can be 10 to 15 minutes with Linda and myself and Hayden together, singing one song, reading a little bit of his uh, uh, Bible together, talking about the Lord and praying, but just, just, just finding the time to do it. So what do you think is one of the greatest uh, detriments to doing this time together in your household? I wonder if it might be that big blue idol called the TV, okay? Um, <clears throat> I know that's a challenge for us. And so I want to encourage you, okay, encourage you to turn off the TV. Turn off the TV. In fact, better yet, kill it, okay? Kill the TV. Uh, I'm one of those weird guys who, uh, in our household, when they came and told us that we had to have a special box uh, to keep the TV going, right, everything, I said to the government, you can't make me, right? And so I didn't get that box. And so we don't have TV in our household. We do have a television, but we use it as a monitor. And we do watch DVDs, yes. But the difference in watching a DVD and just having the TV on, right, is that I choose, okay? I, I know the content of what I'm going to be putting on for myself, my wife, and my son to enjoy. I have chosen that. Just letting the TV run and not knowing what you're watching or what's coming up is kind of like having that, that inviting a stranger off the street to your dinner table. And you guys are just sitting there, and the guy just starts saying all these bizarre things. You're like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, right? We, 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 we need to just, just consider that. Think about that. So turn off the TV. Have some time. Uh, eat dinner together. Many of you are probably doing this already, but I find that it is a struggle for us in my family. We're so busy to find a time and just say, no, let's, let's eat dinner together as a family. Let's sit at the same table, actually, and let's eat together. Uh, we've provided for you in the, in the bookstore. There's a, a thing called the family worship card. It looks like this. And there's a little table that has all these resources in the uh, bookstore today. And I think this is uh, $2. And what it has is <clears throat> it has the doxology praise it's just a template you don't have to do this but it gives you it gives you a tool and i i use this even now I, I it's right on my coffee table with hayden's bible with my bible and i pull it out say okay let's praise god in song 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We have a little doxology. You can sing another song. It doesn't matter. Remember what we believe. We recite the Apostles' Creed. Break it down. Take it in, in small chunks. Honor God, the Ten Commandments. Pray, uh, pray through the Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Read the Bible. It has some, some things there. Pray together. It has the Lord's Prayer. It's just a great help for you. Okay, also available in the uh, bookstore is uh, a catechism for boys and girls. Okay, a catechism for boys and girls. And we, uh, many evangelicals today, we've lost the art and the discipline of catechizing our children. A catechism is simply uh, a, a source of questions and answers about, about God. And so this catechism for boys and girls, uh, it's very simple. It starts out with simply, who made you? Right, And so I would, at, at dinner, while we're eating, excuse me, pass the potatoes. And by the way, Hayden, who made you? Right? And he says, God made me. Right? What else did God make? Hayden says, God made all things. Right? Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. Right? Okay? And so you go through and just work on catechizing your children with that. For those who have older children, we have also a book by Wayne Grudem called Christian Beliefs. If you have uh, junior high students, this book, Christian Beliefs, is a wonderful, a wonderful tool to work through what do they believe and why. Teach our children, what do you believe and why. If you have high schoolers and even, even some junior hires, they can handle systematic theology by Wayne Grudem. Don't be intimidated by the size of this book. You just take it in small chunks and begin to read through it. Ask questions. Train your children, okay? So those are some helps, and those things are all available in our bookstore for you today. One more thing, too, is... Uh, a couple more things. Sit together as a family at worship. Okay? It, 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 it's, not a, um, it's not your children's choice whether or not they come to church. I, I hear this sometimes, and, and, and I'm not thinking one in, in your particular, but, but every once in a while I, I hear someone say, well, my children, uh, you know, I'm waiting till they decide. I, I don't want to push my religion on them. I'm going to wait till they, they, I want them to make their faith their own. Uh, And uh, the question is, let's, let's do the same thing with school. I'm going to wait till, do your children go to school? Well, I don't want to push it on them. I don't want to push reading on them. I really don't, I don't, I want to wait till they decide. You know, when Hayden decides he wants to read, then I'm going to teach him. No, we, we decide. We're parents, okay? Your children come to worship and, and we attend Hope Chapel, right? That's where we go to church. Okay, that's our church. It's our church. Uh, so let me encourage you that your children uh, don't have a choice in the matter, right? They come to church and sit together, right? Commit to a family night. Sometimes at Hope Chapel, we have so many opportunities. We're blessed here with so many opportunities and so many ministries that I feel sometimes we're our own worst enemy <laughs> because we have so many things going in so many directions that you can be doing something. Mom can be at a uh, women's thing. Dad can be at da- uh, a guy's thing. And the kids can be at a kid's thing. And we've, we've segregated the family. And so I want you to uh, consider committing to a family night. It's okay, all right, to say, this is our night. This is our night, and we do our thing. We play games, we eat together, and we enjoy each other's company, and we sing and praise God together, okay? Well, Jonathan Edwards, who I spoke of earlier, said this. He said, every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church. Every Christian family is a little church. And you know what? We could also say this. Every Christian family is a growth group, right? You're a growth group. Every Christian family is a discipleship group. God, is a, God has entrusted you with your own growth group, with your own discipleship group. And men, it's your job to disciple that family. 
First Chronicles 16, 43 says this. Then all the people departed each to his own house. And David went home to bless his household. David went home to bless his household. I want to encourage you men today, as you leave here today, and each of us goes to our own families, to our own households, that each of you would be encouraged to go home and to bless your household. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this word.